Hello, and welcome to Subtle on the Sofa, a podcast from iSeek, the impactful, subtle educational enterprise collective, which is dedicated to sharing, exploring, and engaging with subtle in higher education. Hosted by Dr. Kaya Frank, that's myself, each episode features an informal and relaxed interview with someone working in higher education spaces. On today's show, We have Dr. Corinne Green, a lecturer in academic development in the Teaching Innovation Unit at the University of South Australia. She is a researcher and educator, often taking the role of critical friend to prompt university educators to be intentional in their approach to teaching and learning. Corinne has relished opportunities to collaborate with local and international colleagues in the fields of academic development, in subtle and teacher education. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how Corinne came to fall in love with Subtle, and in particular, concentrating on her upcoming chapter, The Braided Threads of Learning, Changing and Becoming, Reflections on My Subtle Adventures So Far, which will be coming out in Janice Miller-Young's and Nancy Chick's Being and Becoming a Teaching and Learning Scholar in Higher Education. If you enjoy this conversation, please feel free to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly moved to do so, we'd love it if you left us a positive review. Now, over to the show. So I know I've introduced you, but if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself in perhaps a less formal way and just letting us know a little bit about your name, where you're at and what you're doing. Hi, my name is Corinne. I am an academic developer at the University of South Australia. Uh, And so what that means is that I get an opportunity to prompt academics um, and and teaching staff to really be intentional about their teaching and learning and to think about why they're doing what they're doing, which I really love getting into that. Uh, I've been involved in SODL for mm, about seven years now, eight years, something like that. Uh, and yeah, really, really like the way that Soddle gives an opportunity to have that integration of research and teaching and sort of having both of them feeding into each other. Brilliant. I would like to know, you've been doing Soddle for seven to eight years. What was your introduction to it? So the first introduction that I had to Sotl was actually at the iSotl conference. So if you're not aware, that's the International Society for the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. And back in 2016, their conference was in Los Angeles. And I was about to start my PhD and had been doing my honours and doing some research assistant work with someone who is now a good colleague of mine, Michelle Eady. And she invited me to come along to that iSOTL conference with her. And I was a bit of, don't really know what this whole subtle thing is, but sure, sounds sounds like a cool thing to get involved in. Sounds like it's really linked in with what we were both interested in. Uh, so really, I went along to a pre-conference workshop where they did a bit of a, here's what subtle is. And I went, yes, that does sound right up my alley, like something I'd really be interested in. And so since then, we've been going along to various conferences and connecting with people and reading literature and being able to be a part of some subtle projects myself and really, yeah, as I say, really appreciating that opportunity to have dovetail of research and teaching. 
I think that's what's interesting is this sounds like a story that I'm hearing more and more again, where people go, well, I'll give it a go. Let's see. And then you, you suddenly go, oh, this is actually really useful. Um, talking of which, I'd love to know, why do you think subtle matters and how has it impacted your work? Something that helped me to really find my way into subtle was thinking about um, teaching. And my background is in teacher education. So I was already working with people that were learning how to be teachers going out into schools. And so in doing that, I was being intentional about my own teaching because I was modelling for them what they could go out and do in schools and reflecting on why I was doing what I was doing. And so I think for me there was a lot of synergy there with what Soddle is on about and it was almost a bit of, well, yeah, doesn't everyone think of these things and doesn't everyone approach it in these kinds of ways? And realising that it wasn't necessarily that common, even within the School of Education really, but also beyond that where you might have people who are discipline experts in other areas and not having that background in thinking through their teaching and the learning experiences that they're providing. So I think that because of my background, there was a lot of synergy there with Soddle that made it very easy to kind of step into that space and kind of use what I was doing in teacher education and just frame it slightly differently for a slightly different audience, but still have those kind of common threads going through there. Yeah, I, I I know one of the things that I've been really grateful for is is my my dad was a teacher, which I'm probably going to mention a million times on this podcast. But <laughs> it did mean the first time, sort of like when I went, I did my taught my first module as a little sort of visiting lecturer, so very casual. I just submitted my PhD, and we did a course about it, and it was really interesting to think, oh, this is a vocabulary I know. I, I've seen someone mark, I've seen someone have learning objectives, I've seen someone go through, so like we have offset mm. in this country, and there's a lot about offset at the moment, but I won't get into the political side of it, but I've seen my dad going, someone's <laughs> going to ask me, why did I do this? What did I do about that? And it made me realise that I kind of always been doing it. So even as a student, I'd been critically engaging with, mm. why is this lecturer doing it like this? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And whilst I had always been reasonably successful in a traditional higher education model, the lecture, the seminar, and then a lot of essays I did English literature, I was conscious that that approach was a very homogenous approach. Um, so yeah, learning about subtle, I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Mm. This is kind of the thing that I've already been doing. I just needed someone to tell me why I was doing it and then give me a framework to sort of be able to explain to people, this is what I'm actually doing, which I think gets us to the point of, as um, you used the quote in um, your piece from Healy, Matthews and Cook Sathers, they have an invitation to share the messy unfinished personal work of living within the context of Sotol. Uh, and that's obviously that's really spoke to you. And I'd love to know, like, Again, what is what is it about that that speaks to you? Where do you think that fits into your scholarship? I think that there is such a lot that we can learn from each other if we're open about the process that we've taken to get to a particular point. And rather than only seeing the polished, finished version, um, you know, because there's so much that you can do in that polished version that that smooths over the hills and the valleys that you had along the way and the decision points that you made along the way. And so I wonder if that's particularly the case within Soddle where it's interdisciplinary 
And so you don't always know what you're assuming that other people know. So um, where, you know, I might talk with the meta language of teacher education and assume that everyone's following along with what I'm talking about, but actually it's something that's completely new and novel to someone in humanities or from an engineering background or whatever it might be. Um, and I know for myself it, in my PhD research, I'd actually, from going to one of the ISOTL conferences, picked up some humanities research approaches that I could use in my PhD that was social science-based. And it was because we'd taken the time to talk through the process of how that had happened. And that enabled me to think about how I could translate that to my context and help use that to help me make decisions in what I was doing. So I think that's definitely part of it, that the process is so valuable to learn about and to talk about with each other. And then it's also that for me, reflection has been such a key aspect of my involvement in SODL, my development as an academic. It's how I take the time to stop and notice some of the patterns and the gaps and to really try to notice what hasn't been noticed. And I think that's a key part of SODL too, of that you are wanting to be, be curious about your teaching, about what could be explored in that area and, yeah, to really notice what isn't noticed and consider why that might not be noticed. I think your comments particularly, I think think about sort of like my experiences, what you're saying about that noticing, because a lot of it is it's noticing not just yourself, but it's also noticing that you are engaging with students. So this idea that subtle is something you do alongside students is we say it out loud because we have to formally announce like this is what we're doing. But I like to me, every good educator is like, of course, it is something that I do alongside students because every session is going to be changed and shaped by the students. Um, and we've all had that situation where we go in with our best laid plans and then something's happened. And it can be anything from someone comes, this student comes in and you're like, oh, you are not okay. Okay, so we're going to maybe move this or students have a panic attack or none of the students have done reading because you forgot that it was the week after a major assignment. Of course, they haven't done the reading for your session. And whilst we joke about the frustrations of this, or we may genuinely find it frustrating, I actually think that we have to remember that our students bring their messy lives in and we bring our own. And as someone like who returned to teaching after having children and during a pandemic, it was almost impossible to like be like, I'm sorry, my messy life is totally organised. It's in the background and it will not impact. But do you have to say honestly, yeah, it's impacting you. It's impacting me. Let's try and work out a way that we can meet in the middle. And I, I do think that like maybe in some ways the pandemic has forced us to really think a lot more about how our how our messiness and our unfinished and our personal life and experience of teaching is coming into the classroom more. Yeah, I think it's definitely become more of a conversation, um, at least in the circles that I am in, um, about this sort of human approach to teachers and to learners and to recognising that kind of thing. Uh, it's been interesting in my current role as an academic developer because we work a lot with uh, academics across a whole range of different disciplines um, in regards to their own teaching and learning. And so there'll be times where, for instance, we have a short course where they enrol 
like students and go through and have weekly readings and assessment tasks and things like that. And if they come to you and say, look, I need an extension because X, Y, Z has happened, you go, sure, maybe you need to extend this to your students as well. You sort of frame it in ways that prod them a little bit of, yes, this is what it's like to be a student in this moment, that there are lots of things going on. And just because you're an academic who's a student doesn't mean that that experience isn't also something that your undergrad students or your postgrad students are also going through. I think part of this kind of reflection and this approach that I have, again, comes back to my teacher education background, where because I was teaching people that were going to be teachers, I tried as much as I could to kind of pull back the curtain and explain why I was doing something so that they could make their own decision about whether that was right for them in their classroom experiences and things like that. I had um, in my first semester, the teacher evaluations that I got were something along the lines of she treats us like five-year-olds. And that might have been because I had recently come from working with five-year-olds and I'm thinking, well, these students are going to go out and be teaching five-year-olds. So let's bring those, you know, those sorts of techniques into the classroom and, and you know, into the tutorial so that they can then use them in their classroom. Now, that translation piece didn't quite happen in my first semester. But after that, and from that feedback from the students, I was able to be a bit more intentional about how I pull back that curtain and to say, look, I'm putting you into these groups and I've thought about it in this way because I'm hoping that it will enable this to happen in this activity. And that when you go out into your classroom experiences, maybe you can think about doing something similar as well. And to really be talking through that process was something that was really valuable at I hope, I think, for my teacher education students. And that has now then carried through into all aspects of what I do. And I think that that, again, has that really strong link with Soddle, where when you're thinking about going public and sharing what you have done in your classroom, you need to be able to articulate those decision points and those reasons why and what literature has informed what you're doing and all of those kinds of things that means that you're being that reflective and um, yeah, communicating that beyond your own classroom walls. People who are listening can't see me, but I am like chomping at the bit. I am vibrating with excitement, which is basically my learning. That's You can always tell when I'm interested in something because I'm just like so excited whether I'm reading a book that's uh, at the moment about trolls um, or, or what have you. But I think what you're saying is so important. Um, one of the things I always like to raise, uh, because for me, explaining my process to my students is really important letting them say like you get to feedback and you have points where you can formally feedback but at any point you are allowed to say this didn't work or I didn't like this or can we try something different and sometimes I might say you know we you didn't like that that's because it's the first time you did it so let's we're going to do it a few more times um, and I've experienced that. We've all experienced that. And that my job is to help you keep doing and support and encourage. But I know that, like I've spoken to other educators who find that they find that quite difficult. They, they very much want to separate both the messiness of their life, but they also prefer to take on that persona of I'm in control and I don't need to necessarily explain everything. And one of the things I always try and ex say is that when I've spoken to other educators who perhaps have got defensive is to say, you don't have to do it like me because to ask me to do it like you would make me feel 
anxious and stressed. Like I could never get anything wrong. Like I, I was constantly performing and I can't do that. I'm, I'm a leaky person. All my boundaries are leaky. It just, everything leaks into each other. But I think it's, it is useful. Like often I, for me, what Subtle did was just give me the permission to say, there is a reason why you do that. It's not because you can't be professional and it's not because you're not good at your job. It's because that is how you learn and how you teach. And if you explain that to your students, then that's absolutely fine. As long as you're intentionally understanding it, you understand the effects, the pros and the cons, you can move with that. And I'll say too, as a counterexample to that, I am fairly private, particularly with students and in professional circumstances. You know, I... I sort of want to walk this line of them knowing that I'm more than just an academic. I'm more than just a teacher. Um, so I'll tell them about how I love to go bushwalking and, you know, there are other facets of my life, but I won't tell them about my family and I won't necessarily, you know, talk about how I'm feeling that day or things like that. So I think that there are definitely ways, as you've said, to have that messiness kind of on display. And if that works for you, then that is great. That can be a really valuable way for students to get to know you and to see that messiness. But it's not the only way. And as you've said, you know, there are other ways to do that that mean that I feel like my personal life and my professional life are still separated. I very much value the fact that I can come into the office Monday to Friday, do the job and walk away and and not need to do things, go and do other things that I want to do over the weekend. And that's really important to me. But the, the messiness of the process and of the decisions that you're making within the workspace can still be something that can be shared and can be learned about you know, and I'm kind of quietly, maybe I'm doing that vibrating thing, quietly excited about this book chapter coming out, partly because it is a bit of a vulnerable reflection and letting people into who I am and um, the decisions that I've made along the way. But at the same time, you could read that chapter and still not necessarily know me. And I think that's a good thing for me. I like that I can still be separate from that Corinne that's on the page there. And I would say like in your chapter, that expression of the journey comes through so wonderfully and so clearly. And I am also married to someone where I swear if people he worked with didn't specifically say, hey, have you got a wife and kids? They could go their entire life only knowing <laughs> he had a cat. That would be because the cat is in the office with him. So that is it. But yeah, it's really interesting because we respect each other's approaches he's a very clear cut he's not an educator because he said it would be his idea of hell we have very clear cut approaches but we both are good at our jobs and we both do our own thing and going back to your chapter use this idea of the braided thread now i don't want you to give away everything because i would love you to go and find the chapter and read it and it's coming out soon and i'll link it below maybe if you could just briefly go into this idea of the braided thread and how it it supports your understanding of being a subtle scholar yeah, so essentially when the – I started writing this chapter because I had the call for chapters from uh, Janice and Nancy come out about this book that they were talking about it wanting to be about being and becoming a subtle scholar. And the title ended up changing in the final version, but along those lines, this being and becoming. And so I basically did a bit of a search for what do we mean by being and becoming and what could that look like? 
and through that came across Anna Stetsenko's transformative activist stance. And they talk about how there's no gap between changing one's world, knowing it, and being or becoming oneself. All three dimensions simultaneously emerge from this process. And so as I was thinking about that, I started to see these as three different threads. One about learning and knowing, one about changing and transforming, and one about being and becoming, and that they were plaited together and kind of came over one another and and entwined within each other and lengthened out over time. Uh, The fact that at the time I always wore my hair in braids may have had something to do with thinking about how these ideas could come together and, and be interconnected in that way. And so that was a really useful framework for me to think not just about how am I a subtle scholar, how have I come to this point, but what are those threads that have brought me here? So I started thinking about, well, what have I learned? How have I learned? What do I know about Soddle? How have I changed and transformed myself, those around me, through Soddle and through understanding more about Soddle? And ultimately, how am I being and becoming a Soddle scholar? So it was through thinking about those braided threads that really helped me to kind of tease apart the different aspects of my journey so that I could do that communicating to other people. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll leave it to you to read the chapter to get the detail of what those pieces are. But And again, I, having read the chapter, it's really, really well ex- explained. And I think this is a really good example of you saying how you model because you're you read the chapter and I found myself going, yeah. So I, I think I did something similar at that point and that's how I see this and I see that. And over the weekend, I happened to be reading Science Focus, which is a magazine, I think it's produced by the BBC about science. And they had one that was about the psychology um, issue and they were talking about this idea of fixed mindsets versus changeable mindsets. And I think that idea of being and becoming is really important. And my... My thesis was about werewolves, which sounds like it's got nothing to do. I don't believe in werewolves. I just have to put the caveat in. It was in literature. I don't believe them. But there's this whole um, philosophical discussion called Becoming Animal by Deleuze and Guattari. Some people find it a bit opaque. The opaqueness of it often comes from the fact that they're, they're trying to explain that notion of just becoming. Like, it's... It's not a static. I can't give you one definition. This is becoming, this is becoming, this is becoming. And there's obviously about becoming animal. But similarly, that idea of transformation, it's literally within my thesis. And it's absolutely within, I think, what you're talking about, that idea that it isn't a static process, that we should be changeable, and that there is evidence that having a more changeable mindset is better for you, but also better for our understanding of who we are as beings, that we are always being and becoming. Mm. I really like having um, aspirational kind of title, identity kind of thing. So I would have been maybe, let's call it a year into my PhD. took me four and a half years to do it in calendar years. But at that early point was when I joined Twitter as part of a conference um, activity and I gave myself the Twitter handle of Dr. Corinne Green. I was not a doctor at that time. It took another three or four years before that actually came true, but it was part of that kind of that's what I want to be and that's the identity that I'm sort of seeking after. And so I think for me at this point that is subtle scholar. 
I see myself as, yes, being a Soddle Scholar now, but also still becoming a Soddle Scholar. And that dynamic sort of, you know, it, it's there and it's not yet at the same time is a really interesting space to be in um, and to think about how I want to be going deeper in this space. I mean, I'm really impressed that you put that doctor in your title before you got your PhD. Um, although what I find interesting is what you were saying about the idea of um, seeing yourself in the future. I, I'm i very interested in when I talk to my students sometimes, like have they seen themselves as a student and do they know what that looks like? When I walked into university, I knew what that would look like for me. I had this projection of the clothes I wear, I like fashion. So I knew like I had my outfits. And I think that actually hugely helped me. When I talk to my students, sometimes I realize that they haven't had enough time or they haven't really even engaged with what they as a student looks like. And it's useful to sort of unpack and say, this can look very different. And like you're saying, that idea of being and becoming, you will always be transforming. It will look different. It will continue to look different. But it did strike me really that my students, like I spoke to them and I was like, oh, I don't think you saw yourself studenting. Yeah. You didn't see that braided thread. You didn't see that process. Um, and this, I think, comes back to what we were saying about sharing with students sometimes that process. Like, yeah, I have to edit stuff. And on on that note, do you think you would have any advice to someone who is new to subtle? Can I talk some more about something else first? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please talk, talk, tell me about everything. So another idea that Anna Stetsenko has in you know, where I'd gotten this braided thread idea coming through, she talks about this notion of becoming through doing. I think it had some Latin name like postupleni or something like that. I'm going to throw another Latin term out there, which is solvator ambulando. This is something that I has been stuck in my head for many, many years. Um, what Solvator Ambulando means is it's solved by walking. And so in my PhD thesis acknowledgements, I talked about how, you know, there are times when literally my problems are solved by walking because I'm getting too much up in my head and overthinking it all. And so I go out for a walk. I While I was doing my PhD, I lived right next to a national park here in Adelaide, where I live now, there's parks all over the place. And so I would go out and I would put one foot in front of the other and the mental health benefits that come from that, the ideas that come from that, the ways that I was able to make connections about my research by walking was really useful. But it's also in a metaphorical sense of just get started, just do a little bit along the way and you will become through doing those things. You know, when I think back to the fact that my first foray into into Soddle was an iSoddle conference, it's a little bit like that. I was there at the conference and people are presenting and I was even co-presenting with my colleague. And there's a part of me that was sort of like, I didn't even know what this Soddle thing was yesterday. How can I be here at this conference and presenting about it? But because I was there and because I had started taking those steps, meant that I was able to keep on taking those steps and kind of figure it out as I went along. So I guess I, that kind of does tie into your question about what would I recommend for someone who's new to Subtle. I think something that for me that has been so useful being, uh, you know, coming into Subtle, being interested in it, finding out more about it is talking with other people about what Subtle means and getting a buddy meeting regularly, 
talking about what it means in general and in your context, what it could mean for you. Uh, so after that first conference, the ISOTL in 2016, with Michelle, my colleague that I'd gone there with, we met a few people at the conference and we sort of tended to click and, you know, we would go out for dinner one night and just kind of really get this great network going. And we knew that, or at least the others knew, because this was my first conference, so I didn't have this personal experience, but they knew that there had been so many times in the past where they had said, yes, we're getting on so well at this conference, let's totally do something going forward. And then you get home and it doesn't happen. So while we were still at that conference, we made a pinky promise with each other. And I have a photo of our pinky promise that we made that we were going to meet up at least once and talk about ideas coming out of that conference. And we ended up doing it for the next year. And we, every month or so, we would meet up with, so it was people from Australia, America, and Ireland, which I can tell you made for awful time zones. But we would meet up and we would talk about some of the key messages that came through the conference or the subtle literature that we'd been reading or some of us were new to subtle, some of us had been in it for many, many, many years and had a whole wealth of experience and understanding of subtle. Um, and because we were from those different places, we had to really be explicit about our context so that we could have shared meaning of what we were talking about and make sure that when I say course, you know that I mean course and not course or program or subject or, you know, even just those sorts of pieces of language, um, but also meant that there were diverse perspectives on how subtle findings could be applied or what have you. And so then the next conference in 2017, we met up again and it was great to see each other in person and not bleary-eyed at 6am through a video conference. But we also were then able to present and reflect on what our experience had been. And we called it our song, our small significant online network group. But something like that can be really powerful. It doesn't have to be with international colleagues. It doesn't have to be at 6am. But find someone that you can chat with about what SODL might mean for you and try to make sense of some of these things as you kind of come through them. Uh, I think that's been a really key benefit for me is talking with people and, and figuring it out as we go along kind of thing. I definitely think at my university been quite spoiled because I have a lot of scholars already based at my university. And I just hadn't realized that there were there was all these possibilities here. I just think at my university, because we have a good um, sort of way of you as an educator get to do extra training and you get to do courses and then you get to get like nice little like things like a fellowship of the UK Higher Education Academy and all sorts of things. I didn't realize how spoiled I was until I talked to some of my other colleagues at other places. Before we say goodbye, uh, is there anything you'd really like to add? Yeah, I'll give, it might be a small spoiler of the chapter, that you know, at the end of it I kind of land on this idea of planned serendipity because there have been a whole lot of serendipitous things that have led me into Soddle, have gotten me to where I am today, a whole lot of privilege and positions in that that perhaps would not be accessible to others. I've also, and it was helpful to be reflecting through this chapter as I was writing it, about the ways that I have demonstrated agency and taken initiative to be present in the spaces that I'm in. So I think I'd just encourage people to think about 
where are you planning for serendipity to happen? Where can you be taking some of those steps, you know, solving it by walking, becoming through doing, and see what adventures come your way? And I think you may also, if people we listen and listen carefully and join up all these dots, I think you may have helped people solve imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like an imposter if I'm suggesting that I've solved imposter syndrome. <laughs> I was just listening to what you were saying and I was like saying being present, looking like seeing yourself in that position, understanding that it's something that's continually changing. All of these seem to be things that I think imposter syndrome tells us we can't do. Or more importantly, being imposter syndrome often takes us out of the room and it takes us out of the present. And all of the advice that you're giving is very much like getting back in there and understanding that you're not a finished article. You don't come in as a perfect lecturer. You come in as someone who is willing to learn. And that Mm. That becoming is what's going to make you into the educator that you want to be. So, yeah, no, I think you've solved imposter syndrome. Don't worry about (laughs) it. That's great. (laughs) Well, and I'll say too that like in writing this chapter, it was really useful to help me to think through these ideas and how could I decide it for myself, let alone communicate it to a, a different audience. But that chapter was written maybe a year ago initially, the first draft. And it's gone through some revisions and all of that kind of thing and hopefully it'll be published soon and I'm really excited for it to be out there. But I have this strong sense that this is me at a moment in time and that, yeah, hopefully I do continue to learn and know about Soddle and change and transform through Soddle and be and become a Soddle scholar. Well, I mean, I'm really excited to keep watching your journey and be inspired by it like I was reading the chapter. I'm very much at the beginning of my journey, so I'm really excited to see where it leads. And I just want to say a huge thank you for such an involved and edifying conversation, which I know I found helpful and I'm sure our listeners will uh, find helpful as well. So thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. It's been great to chat.